one beautiful song, and we are going to do that here in just a few minutes. Open your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. As we continue preparing our heart to celebrate the Lord's Supper today, whenever I meet with a young person to discuss taking the important steps of baptism and church membership, we inevitably end up talking about the Lord's Supper And I'd like to ask them these questions. Uh, Whose idea was baptism? And whose idea was the Lord's Supper? It's important for them to understand and it's important for us to remember that these are not man-made institutions or ordinances. Uh, These are ordained of the Lord. Our Lord Jesus instructs us to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It was our Lord Jesus who, at the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread and the cup and said, do this in remembrance of me. And most of you, if you've been here for some time, you've heard me say it so many times over the years, you probably remember that when we celebrate communion, we're looking back, but we're also looking forward. As the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 11:26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you, do, you proclaim the Lord's death. Till he comes. And so we have communion this morning and we'll be looking back, remembering the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll remember his death, but we should also remember that he is not dead any longer. Those words, till he comes, reminds us that he arose. And we're looking forward to that day when he comes again to receive us unto himself. And so we look forward, we look back, we look around, and we see the unity and harmony that we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We fellowship with one another, and we fellowship with Him. And this is a special time. Uh, This is a sacred time. It's a holy time, but it's also a celebration time. Jesus has finished uh, His work of redemption. He's seated in heavenly places, and He's coming again to receive us unto Himself. And so to better prepare our hearts uh, this morning, uh, you certainly by now have found Acts chapter 2. And we have here the day of Pentecost. And I want to encourage you to to be in Sunday school. We're looking at the life of Christ and uh, some resurrection accounts right now. But when we get to the winter quarter, we're going to be looking at the book of Acts. And here we are this morning in Acts chapter 2. It's the day of Pentecost. And uh, 50 days prior, Peter denied the Lord and went out and wept bitterly. And now here in this chapter, we're going to find that Peter is preaching a sermon and 3,000 souls will get saved. Now, we don't know all that he preached that day, according to verse 40, but we have the main thrust of his sermon here in the Scripture. And his main theme is unmistakable. His main theme is the one we just sang about, Jesus. Jesus. And let me set the scene now. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. They begin to speak with other tongues or other languages. And people from different nations, they begin to hear these people speaking to them in their native languages. And these people that are hearing this are amazed and perplexed. In fact, if you'll find your spot there in verse 12, will kind of bring us up to our text today. Verse 12 says, So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others mocking said they are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Don't you love that? It's the same Peter that denied him just 50 days earlier. And now it says Peter stood up. 
because he's been restored by the Lord. And he raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose. And by the way, you've been around drunk people. Uh, you may say a lot of weird things, but they don't speak in other languages, do they? They don't say, hey, man, he could speak in French or Spanish or whatever. No, they're not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now drop down to verse 22 and we'll find our text for today. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you've taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad, moreover my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades or the place of the dead, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, for nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Savior. We're looking and listening to a sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. And I want you to know that, that notice that, that Peter talked about Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, and his exaltation. Uh, four things here in particular. His life, his death, his resurrection, and his exaltation. We're going to hang our thoughts on those four points, okay? Let's talk about, first of all, the life of Jesus. The life of Jesus. Look at verse 22 again. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst as you yourselves also know. Notice he calls him here Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. This was the humble name that often identified the Lord uh, during his time here upon the earth. And notice that he calls him a man. This reminds us that he uh, is full of humanity. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He is perfect man, but he's more than just a man. It says here he was attested by God. That is, God publicly endorsed or validated his identity as the Messiah, as God in the flesh. How? By miracles and wonders and by signs. And this was no secret. Did you notice he says there, as you yourselves also know, he did them in your midst. He did them where you could see them. Remember that these people listening to this sermon, they were not separated from Jesus' earthly life by 2,000 years like us. I mean, these things had happened just 50 days prior. The Lord Jesus 
was there. And just as a side note, would you notice, and I cannot help but think about it over and over again, the grace of God in this incredible sermon. To realize who it is that's preaching this sermon. Peter, one man wrote that it was even a good sermon. is amazing because just 50 days earlier, Peter had committed the greatest denial of Christ in history. And yet the Lord in gracious mercy came to him. Just like this morning we saw, he came to Thomas and he helped him. He came to Peter and he helped him and he restored him. And he's using him. And here he is, just a short time later, boldly and publicly declaring before thousands of people the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then he takes a sharp turn. And he moves from the life of Christ talking about the death of Jesus in verse 23. Him, that is Jesus, verse 23, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Now he's talking to the men of Israel. He's talking to them and he says that they've taken them by lawless hands. What's he mean by that? Well, he's probably talking about the Gentiles as they delivered Jesus over to the Romans. And He died on a Roman cross. These lawless hands. There's an interesting balance at play in this verse. I touched upon it briefly in our Sunday school hour. But there's an interesting balance. You notice in verse 23, we have divine sovereignty and we have human responsibility. Notice the divine sovereignty. It says that Jesus was delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. In other words, this is the reason that Jesus was born as a man in the first place. The cradle led to the cross. In fact, this has been the case from eternity past. This was the plan of redemption, that Jesus would die on the cross. Jot these references down, would you? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. It says, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Now listen. Not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus. Now listen to this last part. Before time began. Before the Garden of Eden. Before God created the heavens and the earth. Before time began. 2 Timothy 1.9 Write this reference down, would you? Revelation 13.8 Revelation 13.8 all who dwell on the earth will worship Him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So you need to understand, beloved, the cross didn't catch God off guard. It was His plan. It's the reason Jesus came. He knew that was where He was going. How many times have you read it? My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. And then it came to be His time. And He died upon that cross. But listen, that's the divine sovereignty, but it does not take away the responsibility of those who are guilty of crucifying the Lord Jesus. Human responsibility. It says here that it was by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you, men of Israel, have taken and by lawless hands have crucified and put to death. The Jews are guilty. The Romans are guilty. Let's be honest. All of us are guilty. It was our sin that nailed Him to the cross. It was our sin that He was dying for. He voluntarily did it, but it was our sin. 
But praise be to God in this sermon, he moves from the life of Jesus to the death of Jesus and then thirdly to the resurrection of Jesus. It's been noted that this first sermon was an Easter sermon. (laughs) And by the way, all good sermons are Easter sermons. Resurrection sermons. Verse 24. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. In other words, he's alive. He rose again. I love the part of that verse where it says it was not even possible for death to hold him down. Jesus conquered sin and hell and the grave. And then in a very interesting twist, Peter in his sermon, he's going to use David, the Old Testament character of David, to illustrate how Jesus is indeed the resurrected Messiah. Now, I'm happy this came up today in this passage. You know why? Because David's having a hard time here at Red Hill lately, isn't he? I mean, we're in the middle of a sermon series where we're studying David's miserable failures. (laughs) And so here we have a great victory in David's life. And I want you to look at this and I want you to see it and really think about it with me. I want you to understand that David believed in the resurrection of Christ. David believed in the resurrection of Christ. Now, Peter, in his sermon here, he takes them back. By the way, he's a Bible preacher and all preachers should be Bible preachers. Uh, we don't have anything else to do but preach the Bible if we're going to be a preacher. And if you've got a preacher that's not preaching the Bible, he's not a preacher. Because we're to be Bible preachers. That's our authority, the Word of God. And what Peter does here is he takes the listeners back to Psalm 16. You might want to drop that reference down. Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. And before I read it again here in the book of Acts, let me explain to you what Peter's going to talk to them about here in this passage. What he's saying is to, to them is this, that the psalm he's referencing, the psalm, cannot be just about David. It's actually talking about Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. And so look at it there in your Acts chapter 2, verse 25. So Peter's preaching, then he's going to reference David, Psalm 16, Acts chapter 2, verse 25 through 28. For David says concerning him, that is the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he's at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You've made known to me the ways of life. You will make me uh, full of joy in your presence." And Peter's saying that, and the people know they're listening that David is actually dead. And David's body's actually decaying. And he may have even pointed over toward the place where, where David's tomb was at. And as he's saying this, and notice what he says beginning in verse 29, he begins to explain it. Men and brethren, verse 29, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. There it is over there. His tomb is there. He's still dead. But notice what it says in verse 30. Therefore, here's an interesting phrase, being a prophet. We don't have to think about David as a prophet, do we? But there it is. Being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning, watch this, 
the resurrection of the Christ. That his soul was not left in Hades or the place of the dead, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. He brings David before him and says, listen, David, David, way back there, he believed in the resurrection of the Christ. And furthermore, he says at the end of verse 32, we are all witnesses. Just a short time ago, Peter and the other disciples and followers of Christ had seen Jesus ascend back into heaven. You've got to remember the time frame here. They're not removed a couple thousand years like us. These things had happened in recent days. They had seen the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. We studied about it this morning in John chapter 20. And He's ascended back into heaven. Which brings us to the next point. Not only the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, but the exaltation of Jesus. Look at verse 33. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He poured out this which you now see and hear. In other words, even what you're seeing and hearing right now, these languages, these tongues being spoken, this phenomenal thing that's going on here on the day of Pentecost, these confirm that He was indeed the resurrected Messiah. And then here's what's interesting. In Peter's sermon, he appeals to David again. And he brings David before him again. And this time he's not in Psalm 16. He's in Psalm 110, verse 1. And in Psalm 110, verse 1, now look in your passage, you'll find it in verses 34 and 35. For David, Acts 2, 34 and 35, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Now he comes back to his point again. Verse 36. Therefore, Realizing this, He is the resurrected Savior. He is the exalted Savior. Verse 36, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. In other words, He is Lord. He is the Messiah. And men of Israel, you denied him and you crucified him. Even David knew better. You denied him and you crucified him. Now, we don't have time to study the full sermon. You say, what happened, preacher? Well, if you keep reading, many responded. In fact, about 3,000 of them repented and publicly declared their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in baptism. And you say, okay, preacher, I understand Peter's sermon, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the exaltation of Jesus. So what? We already knew all of that. We've already repented of our sin. We've already trusted Christ. We've already been baptized. Um, you gave us this sermon today, Peter's sermon you made it your sermon. You didn't tell us anything new. You didn't tell us anything we didn't already know. So what? I mean, this is very basic stuff. I mean, this is, this is elementary stuff, isn't it? I mean, this is very basic. So what? 
And listen, if that's what you're thinking this morning, you've already answered your own question. So what? How could we ever, how could we ever ask that question when we're thinking about the life and the death and the resurrection and the exaltation of Jesus Christ? I'm afraid that we've become so familiar with the gospel story and the cross and the empty tomb that it doesn't really move us. It doesn't really impact us. We just are so familiar. And when we think like that, we say, well, so what? Or ho-hum, or I've heard this, or I know this. Beloved, that shows that our hearts are cold. It shows that we've We've become accustomed to these glorious truths. Dare we even say it, if truth be known, we become sort of bored with all this cross and empty tomb stuff. I mean, we've heard it over and over. And many of us, we've heard it all of our lives. From the time we were a baby before we even understood it, we've heard these stories over and over again about the cross and the blood. And we sang it over and over again. The song we sang to open the service today. I've sung that song my whole life in church. And many of you have as well. There's power in the blood. We've heard about the cross. We've heard about the empty tomb. We've heard this over and over and over and over and over again. God help us. God help us. We want stuff that's new. We live in a world of glamour and pizzazz and lights and shimmering and entertainment 24-7. And Jesus says to us what? He says, come eat this bread in remembrance of me. Come, come drink this cup in remembrance of me. He knew we needed called back. He knew we needed redirected in our lives. He knew we were going to be distracted. And, and, and over and over again, we're going to be called back again as often as you eat this. Do it in remembrance of me. How's your heart this morning, beloved? Does the cross of Christ still move you? Does the thought of the glory of God and the person of Jesus Christ still thrill your soul? Do you really think about the fact that Jesus died for you and arose for you and He's coming for you? And he could even come today. What did he say in the scriptures? What does the scripture say? As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do show the Lord's death till he comes. Have we gotten over the cross? I think a lot of people have. I think a truth we know a lot of churches have. And that's why there's this unending effort put forth to come up with anything and everything to draw people. When the Scripture says, if Christ be lifted up, He'll draw all men unto Himself. The simplicity of the Gospel. The life, death, burial, resurrection, and exaltation of Jesus Christ should thrill our hearts and move us and touch us at our very deepest point and cause us to worship afresh and anew. And so I want us to have a few moments of confession and searching, the Holy Spirit searching our hearts. If you need to, beloved, ask for refreshing.
that God would open your eyes and your heart and your understanding in a fresh way. So when you eat this bread today, you drink this cup as Jesus said to do it, your heart literally would be drawn close to the Lord in fresh worship. Father, use these quiet, still moments to search our hearts. Help us to be honest with ourselves as the Holy Spirit puts His finger upon any coldness, deadness that He finds in us. May we come clean today as Your Spirit moves among us. Now take a moment, friend. We're going to be real quiet and allow you and me to personally deal with the Lord.